0: Hello, my name is Robbie, and my wife Sarah is right over there. If you can raise your hand, hi for everyone who can see. And we have our two boys with us, Jeremiah and Jace. They are in your nurseries. Um, I hope Dr. R only said the good things, because he's known me my entire life, basically. And so I went to uh, Lancaster Baptist uh, Church and grew up there, went to the school, uh, graduated from kindergarten all the way through high school. So Mark Rasmussen, his son, Mark Rasmussen, and I, we're good friends growing up together, so that was uh, always good. We are going to Los Angeles. I'll give a little bit more about that this this morning for the service, but just a brief synopsis of of us and our story. We, um, during Bible college, were called to Los Angeles and began working a couple different church. Uh, one a church plant, one a more established church. We've been in LA for the past eight years, and as working there, serving in Los Angeles. And I can promise you this, there is a great need for more churches in L.A. We'll go over some of the numbers and things later today, but um, suffice it to say, Los Angeles needs more churches. Every city in L.A. could, could use a hundred more churches. Just that, that's, the, that's the reality of the matter. And so please pray for us. If you would, go to the table afterwards, maybe after Sunday school, um, in between the service times, and, and go back and grab a prayer card. There's a table in the back if you won't mind grabbing that. And taking time to commit to praying for us, that would be a huge help. Uh, what we're doing cannot happen without the prayers of God's people. And uh, I just want to say one thing before we get into the lesson. You can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you would, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, I just want to say one thing about your church. Um, I, again, this is my first time here. I just met Pastor Reno um, just a couple days ago, and so uh, I'm really new to the area up here in the Northwest, but as I've been trying to schedule meetings and plan meetings, uh, it seems as every church that I talk to, every pastor that I talk to, and they say, where are you going next or what's on your schedule, every time I mention Breen Baptist Church and I mention Pastor Bob Reno, uh, my wife can be a testament to this. They say, this is a missions-minded church, um, and they are, they are very uh, honest about that. Yeah. Um, missions-minded church. I don't know how many missionaries. I, I heard the number was around 80. I don't know if that's correct, Pastor. Um, around 80 missionaries you guys support. And I just want you to know that's not happening everywhere. Right. Um, and I'm really thankful that there's a church here in the Northwest. And uh, it's a place, the Northwest is not known for its churches. It's not known for um, being the Bible Belt or anything like that. But... Here in the darkness, I'm appreciative of the fact that in the darkness here in the Northwest, there's a church that still loves missions, that still loves church planting, that still loves seeing souls saved. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Never stop uh, losing the focus on missions. And so we're going to talk about that today um, from 2 Timothy chapter number four. um, Having your mission in life being missions. That's what we'll be focusing on this morning. 2 Timothy chapter number four. Verses number one through four. And this is Paul speaking, and he says, "I charge thee therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears." and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that it's still relevant for us today, and we thank you that um, it is a word that is trustworthy. We can can read your word and, and know that it's true. We thank you for that. Lord, as we um, thinking about this Missions Month and this conference that we're um, coming into, I, I just pray that you'll be with the Berean Baptist Church and help them just to keep that focus on missions. Help them to never lose it. And Lord, I pray you'll help every individual to have a passion in their own life for missions. Not that it'll just be a, a church-wide effort, but that it'll be a personal effort for each and every individual. I pray that you get glory from it. Help this message to be an encouragement and to be a challenge. And that your word will speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, this is the Apostle Paul who is writing this book, and he's writing it to a man named Timothy, as the book, the name suggests. And he's writing this book from the cell, if you know the history of it, from the cell of the Mamertine prison. We know that the Mamertine prison was not a great place to be. In fact, if you went to Mamertine, you were there for one reason, and that reason really was to die. If you went to Mamertine prison, you're not going to escape you're not going to be released. There's, there's no hope for you really. Your days literally are numbered and that's where Paul found himself in, in the Mamertine prison. This was a prison of all prisons really. It was 12 feet underground, it was completely hidden from the sun, it was crowded as this tiny little prison house, anywhere from uh, 25 to 35 prisoners, so you're kind of really shoulder to shoulder with all your prison mates, and, and it's a terribly cold, wet, and dark place, and you're given no privileges there in time. you would often feel the, the scampering of rodents scurrying across your body as they were searching for food, and it was just a place that no one wanted to end up, yet this is exactly where Paul finds himself in the heart of the Mamertine prison, his days being numbered. And you would think that if he finds himself in such a place, that he would have had to do something terribly awful, having to commit some heinous crime to be able to be placed here. But that's not the reality of the matter. The reason why he's here is for one reason, and that was simply being missions-minded. He was here with his days numbered on his deathbed, if you will. A day that coming soon, his his life would be taken from him for one reason. Because he was preaching Christ. He was preaching Christ. You could sum his life up this way, that Paul's life, his mission of his life, literally was missions. The mission of his life was, quite frankly, missions. From the moment he got saved to the moment he, he died, he had this one-track mind to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone that he ever met, everywhere he ever went. His mission was missions. Likewise, missions should be the mission of every Christian. And it should be the mission of every single church. And I, I told you a moment ago, it's not like that in every church. I, as, as I've been hearing... Missions is the focus here, and I'm thankful for that. But if that's not the case for you as an individual, I would hope that you would catch on to the vision of your pastor and catch on to what's going here, going on here at the church, and get your life focused around missions. Missions is the mission of every great Christian, and it is the mission of every great church. Now, here's the thing: you don't have to be a large church to be focused on the mission. You don't have to have the greatest staff. You don't have to have the most money in your church. You don't have to have all the great programs and you don't have to have all the effects. You don't have to have any of the fancy things to be focused on the mission. You just need to obey. If you're going to be focused on the mission, it's one thing that you need to do is that's follow the Lord in obedience. That's how you can be focused on the mission. As an individual, you don't have to have a nice 401k. You don't have to have the greatest investments. You don't have to have all the wealth in the world to pour into missions. All you need to do is to be obedient as an individual and have your life focused on the mission. And here's the thing about it. This is something each and every one of us can do. Every single Christian can, if they choose to obey, they can be focused on the mission. Everyone can. When I was a, child, a kid in the children's class in my church, we growing up, we often sang this song, the, the missionary song. I don't know if you guys know the missionary song. I'm not going to sing it for you. I don't want to embarrass myself in front of everyone. But what I will do is I will, I'll read the lyrics for you. And it says, Be a missionary every day. Tell the world that Jesus is the way. Be it any town or country or busy avenue, Africa or Asia, the task is up to you. So be a missionary Every day. Tell the world that Jesus is the way. The Lord is soon returning. There is no time to lose. So be a missionary. God's own emissary. Be a missionary today. And we teach this to the kids and we sing it and we have these times where we're clapping in the songs and we make it fun and silly even. But it carries a big truth. And that truth is that every Christian is to be a missionary. I'm not the missionary here today. Right? I'm one of many. is how it should be. I am one of many missionaries here today. I'm not the missionary. We are all called to be missionaries. I have a friend who says that missions is both across the street and around the world. It takes both. When you, when you read, it says both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the othermost parts of the world. And the only way that's going to happen is if, if we all get involved. And so... The question that we're faced with, I believe, from this passage is, is your life focused on the mission? Is the mission of your life missions? And as we look at this passage, we'll see three reasons why missions ought to be our life mission. As Paul is penning his last words to Timothy and he he gives him his last challenge really before he slips into eternity, he, he leaves Timothy with these three reasons why missions should be our mission. And the first reason that we come across is found in verse number one, chapter four, verse number one. And this is because of Christ's return. The reason why we should be focused on mission is because of Christ's return. Paul says, I charge thee therefore before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So as Paul is penning his his final words to Timothy, he does so reminding Timothy that judgment day is soon coming. He he does so reminding Timothy that Jesus Christ will return. And and whether people care or not, and whether people like it or not, or whether people even believe it or not, the fact remains that Jesus Christ is coming again. He will soon return. And when He does, as we find here in verse 1, there will be judgment. There will be judgment. Scripture is clear that in the end, there are two different judgments. One is for the saved, and this is the judgment seat of Christ. This happens at the rapture. So as as soon as we are raptured, we we go into heaven and we're at the judgment seat of Christ. The other is for the unsaved. This is the great white throne judgment. And this happens after the millennial kingdom. As verse 1 puts it, at the kingdom. And so we're quickly going to look at some Scriptures to see what the Bible has to say about these two judgments. And as we do, we'll understand a little bit better why Paul is mentioning Christ's return and he's mentioning these judgments to Timothy. So the first one that we mentioned is the judgment seat of Christ. And, And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verses 10 through 11, we see Paul writing to the church at Corinth about this judgment. He says, For we, speaking of the Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So Paul is telling this church at Corinth that he's challenging them with the judgment seat of Christ. He tells them that judgment is coming according to their works, whether good or bad. And and with that, he tells them to do something very interesting. He tells them, persuade men. Persuade them of what though? Well, the church's job is to persuade the world of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our, Our job is to persuade the world in regards to salvation. That Jesus Christ loves them. That he, he died for them. Now, in and of ourselves, if we were to die, we would go to hell because of our sin. But, but, but because God loved us so much, he, he paid that price for us. He went to the cross for us. He died in our stead. And if we put our faith and our trust in Him alone for salvation, we can be cleansed from all of our sins. We can have a home in heaven. And that is the job of the church, to go and to persuade men. But why? Well, if you look at that passage in 2 Corinthians, it says here the terror of the Lord. The terror of the Lord. Meaning that there is a a judgment for the unsaved as well. And we read of this in Revelations, this great white throne judgment. Revelations chapter 20, it says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God, and the books were open. and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up, I'm sorry, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake a fire. And this second judgment is a place no one wants to be. And I've heard people before when I knock on a door, when I try to witness to someone, and, and uh, they'll, they'll brag and they'll say, well, I'm going to hell to go party with my friends. That's not happening. Right. You might be going to hell, but you will not be partying because hell is a place of judgment. Right. It's in a place of eternal torment and, and pain. And it's a place that no one will ever want to be. But those who do not accept Christ, those who are not found in in the first judgment at His appearing, will be found then in the second judgment at His kingdom. And that's a judgment that no one really wants to be at. That's a judgment that no one wants to really sign up for. And this is why Paul is challenging Timothy in this regard to the return of Christ. He's challenging Timothy with these judgments so that Timothy can realize and that Timothy can be challenged to, to remember and to live his life as if Jesus Christ is returning today. Because he could. We don't know when he could return. Uh, the Bible says it's soon. And it was soon for them. It's still soon for us because a thousand years is as a day to the Lord and a day is as a thousand years. He's not bound by time. He's the God of eternity. He created time. So He's not bound by it. We don't know when He will return, but we do know this. Judgment day is coming. And for those of us who will be at the judgment at His appearing, may we do our best to bring as many people with us to that judgment so they're not faced with the judgment at His kingdom. That's the goal, to bring as many people with us to the first judgment. As the as song says, the, the Lord is soon returning. There is no time to lose. So be a missionary. God's own emissary. Be a missionary today. Today. Judgment is coming both for you and the lost world. So what are you doing about it? What are we doing about it? I know the church has a testimony for doing something about it. But as an individual, do you have a testimony of doing something about it? In Luke chapter 19, you don't have to turn there for sake of time. I'll just just explain it briefly. But Christ gives a parable about the coming kingdom. It's a fairly familiar passage of Scripture. And the context is important because it teaches us about the, the importance of sharing the gospel with the lost and dying world. In this parable, we see a certain nobleman and he gives 10 pounds. A pound is a representation of the gospel when you look at the, the context of the parable. But this pound, he, he gives 10 pounds to each of his 10 servants. So one pound to each servant. And what we see is that three of these servants give a report on what they did with their pound. And the, the master gives this pound and says, occupy till I come. Do business with this pound. Make this pound grow. Do something with it. And we see a report from three of the ten. The first reports that his pound had gained ten pounds. And he gets the the reward, or or the, the master says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The next gives this report that his pound had gained five pounds. Again, the same reward, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But the third servant who gives a report says that he did nothing with the pound, but he took it and he hid it. In a napkin. He did nothing with it. God has given each of us the same gospel. We have have the same salvation if you're saved today. And God has told us to do the same. Occupy till I come. Do something with the gospel till He returns. Christ is soon returning. What are we doing with the gospel? Can we say like the first servant that thy pound hath gained ten pounds? I've been able to see your gospel, see many others saved. Can we do what the second said? Thy thy pound I gave five pounds. I've been able to see people saved. Or are we like the third servant? I've done nothing with the gospel. I've hid it in a napkin. The nobleman was coming. He told his servants that. I'm going to return. But as we look at the report of these three men, only two did something about it. So may we as a church and may we as Christians do something about the return of Christ. So we see that Paul is challenging Timothy with Christ's return. But secondly, he's challenging him with a commanded responsibility. He says in verse 2, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. When you read that verse, notice that there's no suggestions, right? He doesn't say, hey, can you do this? Or "I I would like for you to... Or you should, or if you're going to be a good Christian, this is what good Christians do. It would be something to look into. No, he he gives commands. Preach the word. Be instant. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to study each one of those uh, words there, but for for the sake of time, we're going to just suffice it to say that each one of those commands is for Timothy to go preach the gospel, to share Christ, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. In other words, we are commanded to preach Christ. We are ordered to preach Christ. It is our responsibility to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is not just a command from Paul to Timothy. In the context, yeah, obviously that's what it is. But it's not just Paul telling Timothy. And it's not just those early apostles telling the early church although all the apostles did tell the early church that. Really, this is a command from Christ to every Christian. That's what it is. And how do we know that? We know that because Matthew chapter 28, verses 19-20. through 20. Jesus Christ, before He went back to heaven's glory, He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Now, I love the amen there because it's as if God is agreeing with Himself that He'll be with us. It's as if God is agreeing with Himself that His power will be there because He is agreeing with Himself. That's what he's doing there. He's assuring us, say, if no one else is going to agree with this, I will agree with this. I am there with you when you choose to obey. When you go and you preach the gospel, my power is there. My presence is there when you go and share Christ. And Christ commanded that before he left, before he went back to heaven. It's a commanded responsibility from God himself. It's not just the apostle's word. It's not just Paul's word. It's the word of Almighty God for us to obey. Almighty God. Now, when we look at the early church, and in particular those early apostles, what we find is that they took this responsibility seriously. So much so that they gave their life for this responsibility, for this this command. They gave their lives for it. When you read... Paul, what he says in Romans chapter one, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Did you catch those phrases, I am debtor? Paul was so serious about this commanded responsibility that he, he's, he lived as if he owed, owed a debt to the lost world to preach Christ. And then he says, so as much as in me is. Literally saying, with everything that is inside of me, with every fiber of my being, I am ready to preach Christ. It is what's consuming me. It's what's driving me each and every day to preach Christ to a lost and dying world. Did you catch the phrase, I am not ashamed? So often the churches across America today are ashamed of Jesus Christ. They have changed the the gospel of Jesus to a social gospel or to whatever kind of gospel that they want to preach, a political gospel. And they're doing all these things and they're changing the gospel of Jesus Christ and that's the only thing that saves But they're ashamed of it. They're ashamed of it in the workplace. They're ashamed of it at the the holiday season. They're ashamed of it in their own houses. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But why? Why is he not ashamed? It is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth. Isn't that amazing? It's for everyone. This commanded responsibility is for us to go... To everyone. And the way that that happens is missions. Missions. That's the only way it happens. If missions is not on the forefront of our mind, this doesn't happen. He took it seriously. He tells Timothy in the same book, 2 Timothy, but go to chapter 2, if you would. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Notice the seriousness of this responsibility. He tells, Timothy in chapter 2, verses number 1 through 3 Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me amongst many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I was speaking, I believe his name is Bill there in the back. I was speaking to Bill. He was in the Air Force for 21 years. I grew up from a military family. My wife was in a military family. One thing that I do know about the military is if you've been given a responsibility from your commanding officer, you better do it. If you're a soldier and your commanding officer gives you a responsibility, there are no ifs, ands, or buts. It's your responsibility. You do it. It's your job. It's no one else's job if it was given to you. You fulfill the request. Paul here tells Timothy... He's a soldier. It is our responsibility. It is our duty. We can't pass it off to the next generation. We can't blame the previous generation. Well, they didn't do a good job, so it's, it's not, on my, not on me anymore. No, it, every generation has the same responsibility. Every Christian has the same responsibility. No matter if you were in the early church or here in 2023, it's the same exact commanded responsibility from our commanding officer, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's our job to obey. Just as, if a, as these soldiers have a duty to their country, Christians have a duty to the gospel. And there is no excuse for not sharing it. A pastor once said, it's easier to make excuses when we ought to be making opportunities. It's easier to make excuses when we ought to be making opportunities. Think about that for a moment. Making opportunities. What opportunities do you have to share the gospel right now? I promise you, each and every person in this room, if you're saved, you have an opportunity right now. Maybe not this second. We're we're here in service. I understand that. But you have the opportunity today to be a witness. What opportunities have you missed? That's a hard one to think about. I know I've missed opportunities. I'm ashamed of it, but I have missed opportunities. What opportunities were there that you chose not to take. You had the opportunity. You didn't just miss it, but you chose purposefully not today. For whatever reason, you chose to not do it. The question really is, are you looking for opportunities? We have this responsibility. Are you looking for opportunities to obey it? Are we looking actively? And really, when you think about it, there's opportunities everywhere we go. Starbucks. Some of you go to Starbucks probably twice a day, three times a day sometimes, right? Starbucks or McDonald's, right? Every time you go through a drive-thru, that is an opportunity. It's not a very long opportunity. The window, no pun intended, is short, right? You literally drive through and that's it. But it is an opportunity. Take that gospel track that, that should be in your car door and pull it out. I would love to share something very important with you. On the back there, it talks about how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. If you want more information, go to that church. They'll, they would love to help you out. That's an opportunity. Every time you go to the bank, I don't know how the banks are up here in the Northwest, but in, out in Los Angeles, they're awful. The lines are just unbelievable. It's like the DMV, but it's the bank. It's crazy. It's awful. That's an opportunity. Just sitting in line with your fellow citizens. For 15, 20 minutes, just sitting there in the line of the bank or the post office. The grocery store, when you have the clerk come by and check you out, it's an opportunity. Everywhere we go, there are opportunities. If if you're living in a neighborhood, you have neighbors, that's an opportunity. May we not let these opportunities slip us by. I know we're busy, but it's easier to come up with an excuse than to seize the opportunity. May we not look for excuses. May we look for these opportunities. Why? Why should we look for opportunities? It's a commanded responsibility. It's our duty. So three reasons why missions ought to be our life's mission. First, Paul says because of Christ's return. He's coming back and he's coming with judgment. Second, because it's a command responsibility. If you're saved, it's your job. You can't pass it on to someone else. It's your job. Third, why should missions be our life's mission? Because according to verses 3 and 4, there's a coming rejection. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Look at the first phrase there. It says, for the time will come. This means it's future tense. I understand that this was written nearly 2,000 years ago. I get it. But the Bible is still practical for me today. It's still relevant for me today. So if it says the time will come, I'm reading it still in the future tense. The time hasn't happened yet. Judgment hasn't happened yet. It's part of the reason why we do this because Christ is returning. The time will come. It hasn't come yet. And in fact, when you read both of those verses, verses 3 and 4, it's repeating itself to reassure us of the fact that this is future tense. But the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Five times Paul is letting Timothy know, hey, in the future, people will reject Christ. There's a coming rejection. But that day is not today, Timothy. And that day is not today, church. Yes, I understand every time you knock on a door, there might be someone who says, I don't want that. it was Omar yesterday, right? And we walked up to this house and we, we were trying to give him the gospel and he says, please do not come onto my property. He didn't want us there. He rejected us. But for everyone who rejected us, there was someone else who said, yeah, I'll take it. And he was able to go and share the gospel briefly with the lady who wanted to hear for everyone who says no, there is somebody else who will say yes. So just because someone has told you, no, that's not for me, or no, I don't want to hear your gospel, no, I don't care about your Jesus, it doesn't mean the time's come. Because judgment hasn't yet come. As long as there's time, there's still time. Isn't that something? Right? As long as there's time, there's time. So we have time to share the gospel. Because the time will come. This means that there's still time to be a witness there's still time to share the gospel. There's still time to see people saved. There's still time to be a witness in your workplace, there at the water cooler. I understand you you shouldn't be witnessing while you're working. You don't want to steal your time and the boss's time and his money. But there are opportunities there for you at work. There's opportunities, there's still time if you're a student with your teacher at school, with your classmates at school, there's still time to go in canvas neighborhoods and and knock on doors as we did yesterday. There's still time to go and to be a witness and plant churches in Los Angeles and in Portland and in Seattle and in other places in the United States and around the world. There's still time to send out more missionaries. I see the flags representing the missionaries that you have. And I understand there's more time. There's still time. Because God says it will come. It hasn't yet happened. It hasn't yet happened. So, what will you do with the time that God has given you? What will you do as an individual? I'm not asking the church. As an individual, what will you do with the time that God has given to you? There's a coming rejection. But people still want the gospel. I've seen firsthand, especially in Los Angeles these last several years, it really seems, uh, honestly, since COVID, really, that people are more open to the gospel than ever before. So many people died. And now we're seeing these wars. Ukraine and Israel and all this hatred. And and people are confused. No one likes being lied to. No one likes being duped. I, I hate it. When I'm, when I'm tricked, when I'm duped. I don't like that. I like having the truth. And so does the rest of the world. They may not say that, but really, that's what everyone's searching for is truth. That's what they want. That's what they crave, Because everyone hates being lied to. And we have the answer. We have the hope of all eternity. We have the hope of salvation, the hope of the gospel. What will we do with our time? Are we going to share it? Because I promise you this, people still want it. There's been a mass exodus of Californians lately. Going to all parts of our, of our union, all over, this, all over the country. Going to Texas mainly is what it seems like. My, my family went to Texas. I have so many people going, going to Texas. Or they go to Idaho. Or they go to these red states. And they're fleeing blue states. And they, they're looking for something. And they, they say they're looking for new politics. New policies. They say they're looking for a cheaper house. They say they're looking for better taxes. And they say all these things, but really, they're going to move to Texas and still be miserable. And they're going to move to Idaho and wherever else and still be miserable. Because the, the cheaper house will not fulfill them. And the policies and politics will not fulfill them. The tax brackets won't satisfy. What they're really looking for, unbeknownst to even themselves, is the hope of Jesus Christ. And they're fleeing these blue states Because really what they're looking for is Jesus. Some of them are even coming up here to Washington. I know Washington's still a blue state. I get that. But they're coming up here and they're coming to your areas. Why? Because of the gospel, really. God is moving them to a place where maybe Christians who were not doing their job in California, maybe those Christians in Washington will. Or in Texas will. So God is moving people his sovereign hand, because people are still looking for hope. The time has not yet come. It is coming. What will we do with the time that God has given us? Time is running out, but there's still time today. And with the number of people that we are in contact with every single day of our life, whether that be the old-fashioned way, face-to-face, or this new technology age with your cell phone, or Skype, or whatever else. We're in contact with with countless people on a day-to-day basis. May we seize the opportunities to share the gospel. May we do, as that song, be a missionary. At the end, the kids always chant, let's go. May we do that. Let's go. It's not just for me, as the church planter. Or the evangelist who's coming up for Sunday. uh, Sunday service here in a couple moments. It's not for the missionaries you've had in the past. Or you will have in the present. It's not for the staff of your church. It's for each and every one of us. That's what missions is. It's a Christian being obedient to the Great Commission. So why? Why do we do this? Three reasons and we'll close in the word of prayer. First, because of Christ's return. He's coming. Are you living like it? Second, It's a commanded responsibility. It's your job. Are you doing it? And third, there's a coming rejection. We still have time. What are you doing with it? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be here at church, to hear your word. And I pray that as your word was read and preached today, that it would be something that would would linger and stay with us for a little while. That would impact us and challenge us to each and every day live the mission of missions. It's the reason why you came. And it's the last command you gave us before you went back to heaven. Help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name, Pastor.